Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of March 2nd, 2020. On the show today, I attempt to save 24 hours in line in a single day using FastPass, plus lots and lots of news and listener questions. In our main segment, Jim reviews the legacy of former Disney CEO Bob Iger. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose idea of not safe for work is standing on a swiveling office chair to change a light bulb. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Just a quick question, Lynn. I know from watching way too much YouTube, there is a way if you break a light bulb, you can remove it by using a potato? Yeah, you uh, you cut the potato uh, in half, you jam it up against the part of the light bulb that isn't broken, and then you turn the potato instead of the, the glass. Okay. Y- you know, here's the thing. My grandfather taught me to do this with a pair of pliers. Mm-hmm. And this is why kids are soft these days. <laughs> <laughs> Metal pliers, I might add, <laughs> in case it's not obvious. <laughs> okay. I was about to say that would explain the curly hair. Okay. Then again, moving on. Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Thomas and Audra, Carrie C., and Melissa S., and longtime subscribers Steve P., Mini1000, and Nat S. Jim, these are the folks who are training the butterflies for Butterfly House at next week's Flower and Garden Festival at Epcot. So if you see one of those little beauties sleepily emerging from its cocoon to take its first tepid flight in the air, know that people like Melissa have been rehearsing that moment with those bugs for weeks in sound stages just around the corner. Wow. They've, they need somebody to actually teach them to sleep in a cocoon. I am available. <laughs> I have re- reasonable <laughs> years, rates. Years and years of expertise in this. There we go. All right, Jim. Tons of news this week. Uh, let's get started with the news. I remember last week we said that we were recording the show as the Regal Eagle Smokehouse over at Epcot had opened. I have now been there. Let me start off by saying it's an improvement over Liberty Inn. It's better food. And it's only been open a week, so things could change. It's competent. But it's not going to be anyone's idea of award-winning barbecue. I went yesterday, actually, for lunch. I know this is going to sound crazy, so let me just say that I know it's going to sound crazy before I say it. I had two of the American platters, Jim, (laughs) with three meats on the side and garlic toast each. So I got one of each meat. I had the, uh, the Kansas City smoked half chicken, the Texas brisket, the Memphis ribs, the North Carolina smoked pork, and the South Carolina smoked sausage. Two scoops of lard on the side because, no, I think I had the uh, the onion rings and the, I had the onion rings, the fries, and the pickles. I got an extra side. What I had was, was there's no way around it. It was dry. It was also lukewarm. Okay. Like I said, not going to be anyone's idea of, of award-winning barbecue. But even then, you put some sauces on it, which you should do for barbecues, and it wasn't bad. It was certainly plenty of food. It's about 50 to 75% more expensive than comparable places that actually serve barbecue. And again, my reference for this is uh, in North Carolina. It's either Lexington Barbecue or Stamey's, uh, mm-hmm. depending on which kind of barbecue you like. Most of those meals are around $9.00. These are around $13, 14 to $19. So again, more expensive. Not bad. Very filling. I, mm. I'm interested, Jim, to see how many people want half a pound of meat in July. Yeah. I would say the sides were very good. Like the housemate pickles were great. The onion rings, it's, it's four or five onion rings for $5, which when you, if you 
think about that, sounds like a lot. But the onion rings are huge, and they're also really well done. For Disney prices, okay, that's fine. The thing that I didn't try, and I should have because it looked delicious, the baked beans with burnt ends for $5 okay. also looks very good. And the banana pudding dessert looks exquisite. So uh, I'm going to go back probably tomorrow mm-hmm. and try those. Um, but I did get a top tip for our readers from somebody who's, who's visited as well. If you get the kids' meals, you can get a barbecue chicken leg or chicken salad or a barbecue rib or a cheeseburger, but you also get two sides with those. So if you're interested in the sides, and they're slightly smaller sides, but you can choose two sides for them. And that, I think, is a substantial, it's a good enough meal for most adults and a lot cheaper as well. So that is also what I'm going to try tomorrow. Probably an excellent suggestion for July in Florida. Go the kids side. Yeah. By the way, uh, tomorrow's trip is sponsored by Lipitor. If anyone <laughs> is looking for a good cholesterol-lowering medication, ask your doctor if Lipitor is right for you. And the bypass is scheduled for when? Exactly. <laughs> oh, they're handing out, what are these? What are these, your stents? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's me and Dick Cheney. We're in line together for the American Adventure. I'm asking him for a doctor recommendation. It's great. Wow. Um, okay. Speaking of food, Jim. Uh, mm-hmm. Disney came out with a new dining plan today. Have you seen this? I'm just getting up to speed myself on this one. If you had to guess at what the name of it was, Jim, would you have guessed that it ended in the word plus? I think we oh. all would have. So Disney Dining Plan Plus. So the regular dining plan is, remember, one table service meal, one quick service meal, two snacks, and a drink. Mm-hmm. All right. So one, one, two, and one. The deluxe dining plan is three in any combination of table service or quick service, the two snacks, and the refillable mug. This dining plan plus, smack dab in the middle of those two. It's two meals, either table service or quick service, whatever you want to do, two snacks, and the refillable mug. So it literally right in between the standard dining plan and the deluxe dining plan in terms of the amount of food that you get. The cost is uh, just under $95 per adult per night. I priced it out today. It was $94.60 and like $34.90 for kids, if I've done the math right, per night of your stay. And this is the thing that I couldn't figure out in this gym. Mm -hmm. If you do the math, Disney assumes that a table service meal is worth about $41, maybe $42. And a quick service meal is worth around $18. Each snack is worth around $5.50. And the refillable mug, depending on the number of days that you're visiting, is around $5. If you add all of that up, the only way this Dining Plan Plus makes sense is if you're absolutely committed to two table service meals every day. Like, if you miss one, let's say you're on a four-day trip, right? You would then have eight table service credits available to you in this Dining Plan. If you use all eight uh, credits at table services... You could do well. If you use seven credits for table service and you decide to have one counter service meal, you've actually lost money on the plan. That's how tight the margins are here. You have to wonder if the thinking here is people order the equivalent of their eyes are bigger than their bellies. They commit to this plan because maybe they've done the previous one and weren't a big fan of all the quick service meals, but 
carving out the time, especially in a Disney World vacation. Right. That's going to be hard to do. That's exactly what we were thinking. We we figured out, we we're doing the math this morning on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the only way that we thought this made sense is if you were committed to doing character meals every day. Because the price of the of a, the cheapest character meal breakfast, which is the cheapest meal, I think is $41 at Crystal Palace. And that's about what Disney allocates for a table service meal. So if, you, if you're committed to doing character meals every single day, this might be cheaper for you. But if you miss one, you're out of luck. And the other thing is, too, to your point, I mean, a character service meal is anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes. You have to be willing to commit two or three hours a day to those meals every day of your trip. It's a very limited market is what I'm, yep. I'm thinking. Yeah. No, no, no. You're not wrong. Speaking of new things, Jim, Disney announced earlier this week that Spaceship Earth is closing May 26th. This is the big overhaul right there, Jim. This is it. Remember that this was played up as the big overhaul. We're shutting down on May 26th. They need to have this thing ready again for Christmas. Christmas of what year, Jim? That is the concern, Len. Spaceship Earth is a very, very problematic attraction, both and moving set pieces in and out. Yeah. There is really only so much they're going to be able to accomplish in this period and have it up ready to run in time for the start of the 50th anniversary. So, oh, so, so, so hold on for a second. So originally, the word on the street was that this could be a two or even three year refurbishment. Now you're saying that the the scope of that is, or the uh, the timeline has moved in. Yeah, I, you know that the because of the positioning of the attraction and it, it basically being the thesis attraction of the park, with Epcot being the centerpiece of the 50th anniversary. They talked a good game, and at one point in the past, there was talk about gutting Spaceship Earth and putting. The, the name of the attraction was actually Time Racers. Time Racers, the, I remember it was going to be a sort of roller coaster, right? A thrill ride inside the... Yeah. Disney cannot have this closed for the 50th anniversary. It just sends the wrong message. It's the equivalent of if the party were based over at the Magic Kingdom and they closed the castle for three years for a renovation. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. And as of right now, this is more about changing out the sequence at the very top of the ride, the, the finale piece... But it's still the same ride system, number of the same scenes, just doing what they can inside of six months. And then in much the same way as Imagination is on the long list for change out at Epcot, that it don't be surprised if toward the end of the 2020s, we see this thing go down for two years and come back as a different attraction, but not now. Okay, so I had, I had heard that they were completely redoing the, the ride as, you know, Disney storytelling, but obviously they can't do that in six months. I mean, unless they're just going to start throwing plush in and saying, <laughs> so you, you're thinking that some of, the, some of the existing scenes are going to remain? That is my understanding, that, that I know that if, at one point that was a very ambitious plan, but a couple of things wound up biting Disney in the butt on this one. One was what happened with Chinese steel. The, the price of steel went through the roof, largely because so much of the steel that was available on the market was being grabbed for Japan, for all of the stadiums and such that were being built for the Olympics. Really? In fact, this is the very same issue that the folks who are trying to build Epic Universe on iDrive are dealing with. They budgeted 
what steel cost four years ago. And right. that has significantly changed, especially given the tariff situation and all that. The other thing, a number of other things for the 50th anniversary are behind schedule. It was just one of these things where it's like, do we go forward with this with the original plan and have this thing closed and have every guest who walks in the door to the, to the place where we're having our big party and go, wow, Spaceship Earth, I'd love to go on that. We'll come back in two years. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, we, we can't do Probably. that. Okay. So if Disney decides to do this and, and they're, they're converting the theme over to storytelling, so let's, let's go with that. Yeah. If we go scene by scene through this, the opening scene with the mammoth doesn't make sense from a storytelling perspective. It makes sense in the current environment mm -hmm. as a, an example of how communication helped mm -hmm. early humans, right? That scene doesn't seem like it's going to fit into storytelling somehow. What you have to think about is uh, you have the event. You have the hunting of the mammoth. Oh, uh, it's going to the, tie the very next, next scene. scene. Next the next okay. scene is when they, they start telling the story. And then there was a much more comprehensive take on this, but this just isn't going to happen now. And I wish I had better news here, but it's just this park has to be ready for tens of thousands of extra guests. And I mean, you know how many people per hour ride the, uh, you know, 1,800, 2,400 people an hour? It's a lot. I think it's closer to 2,400. Yeah. If you take that out of Epcot's, you know, yeah. attraction. Especially inventory. out of Future World, which a lot of stuff is closed right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fast pass capacity, too, that they, uh, that they get rid of there. Um, yeah. If, if this is closing May 26th, do you think it means that uh, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure opens to give them that little boost of capacity? They are shooting for Memorial Day weekend. Okay, which is? A tail end of May. <laughs> that, would, that would be the 25th. Ah, there what we a coincidence. Go. However, anybody who's been watching the construction that's going on on the outside of the building and, and that sort of thing, it, I don't need to tell you about what a wet, weird winter it's been down there in Florida. And they're going to try to make up the time going into the spring. All right. We'll see. Uh, I, my sense is that they have a closing date in mind for Spaceship Earth because they have a opening date in mind for Remy. We'll see what happens there. Remember that Remy does, in fact, shift the gravity of that park. Oh, it goes way back into International Gateway, yeah. Yeah, it's one thing to have your people-leading attraction at the very front of the park, which tends to slow people down. Yeah. You know, just sort of like, okay, people come through the gate and immediately get in line for that. But if that goes down and Guardians of the Galaxy isn't expected to even get close to uh, you know, opening until the first of next year. Yeah. Yes, the, the back of the park gets very interesting very quickly. So. Yeah, I think if you want to ride... Uh, Remy in the morning, the thing to do is get dropped off at one, uh, you, either Beach Club or Boardwalk and walk over to International Gateway. It, it'll be talked about, about that. Just and like, yeah, that, that, that is not a bad, that's a great idea, really. So. <laughs> I've been saying it in the, uh, in the unofficial guide book since, uh, since it came out last August that that was probably mm -hmm. going to be the, uh, the plan. What remains to be seen is how the Disney resorts deal with that number of people coming in. Obviously, you won't be able to park there, but if the line is 20 cars deep to get mm -hmm. dropped off by an Uber or a taxi or a Lyft, how are they going to handle that? We'll see. Yeah. Jim, speaking of events, Disney announced the dates for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party this year. And it starts when, Jim? August 13th and runs through November 1st of Is 20. that officially the earliest? Or Yes, the, I... the earliest by, uh, by three days. In fact, Jim, I did the math. Mm. 
it is one day closer to Halloween than it is to Memorial Day. (laughs) (laughs) It's 80 days from Memorial Day, 79 days from Halloween. Wow. Here's the, here's the, the thing that I found curious mm-hmm. about that. I mentioned it's 79 days from Halloween. Also, mm. the Epcot festivals are capped at 79 days in length. So, 79 days must be something like the speed of light for Disney events. Like, it's the unbreakable upper limit for things. Uh, also, there are 36 events in 2020, uh, same as last year. Ticket prices have gone up. It's now... 91 to $159 for adults. Obviously, the cheap days are weekdays uh, and Sundays during uh, August and September. The $159 date is uh, Halloween. Uh, mm-hmm. And then 85 to 153 per child. That's 159 and $153 for Halloween, Jim. So, a family of four, that's what? Uh, $600. More than $600. <sighs> Wow, that's hard to make up in Clark bars. That's a lot of candy you got to collect. And speaking of that, Jim, speaking of candy, I went back and looked at the weather that Orlando had on these August, the first couple of August dates in 2019. So on, on the equivalent of uh, uh, August 13th in 2019, I think it was August 12th, the high temperature that day in Orlando, 91 degrees with 83% humidity. That's a heat index of 117, Jim. And remember, those temperatures are measured in the shade, kids. Uh, It'll be warmer when you're in the sun, standing on hot pavement, and it'll be even warmer if you're wearing a costume. Uh, So, Jim, here's my advice. Listeners, uh, get ready for this. I think the only acceptable costume for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party in August is Speedo Mickey. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. that redefines oversharing, (laughs) Clank. Hey, wasn't my idea to have the party in August, but here we are. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of other uh, ticket additions, Jim, did you see that uh, Disney added a new water park and sports ticket option? They brought it back. Okay. It's the traditional water parks, uh, Blizzard Beach and Typhoon Lagoon. Yep. Did they swap out any of the traditional sports things? or You still get the Oak Trail Golf Course, the Nut Hole Course. You still get mm. the Mini Golf, the Fantasia Gardens, and Winter Summerland. You still get ESPN World World of Sports, but not the individual events. The thing that they added was the NBA experience. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, that, that's, that's the new thing. How far along is the construction on the expansion project for the Dolphin and the Swan? Because doesn't that like literally creep up right to the side of Fantasia Gardens? It actually spans, it, go, it curves around it. It's fairly extensive. I was, I was at Epcot yesterday, so, or two days ago, eating barbecue. And uh, when mm-hmm. I was going out, I took a peek over at uh, the Cove, the hotel that, mm-hmm. that, that's being constructed over there. And it goes way farther back than I thought. I thought, you know, relatively small footprint for the hotel, but it extends all the way from Epcot Resorts Boulevard all the way back to, you know, that, that canal that the bridge wow. goes over yeah. before you get on the world drive. It, it goes all the way back there. And the construction is currently going all the way back there with a multi-story structure so it's it's bigger than i thought but yeah to your point yeah i mean if you're lining up for a putt at fantasia <laughs> uh fantasia gardens then it's uh you're gonna hear jackhammers in the back i, I was about to say that nothing improves you get your golf score like in you know, pneumatic drills <laughs> exactly exactly all right jim so uh, one other thing i did this last weekend it was kind of fun i attempted to save 24 hours in line using FastPass. So here's the setup. And by the way, listeners, I think this is a new challenge that we should all try. So friends of ours were in, uh, in, in town from London. We decided to take their two kids, ages 18 and 16, 
to the parks with us. Uh, so Laurel and I uh, were going in on Saturday with the two kids. And normally, Jim, when I when I go to the parks, I act like a normal guest. I pay retail for, I mean, we pay retail for everything. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, when I go in and I act just like everybody else because I want to see the experience. But occasionally, mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm in the parks for fun, I can ask for special favors from certain people. I don't do it often, but, but it happens. Mm-hmm. So on this particular day, these kids had only one day in the parks and we wanted to make the most of it. So in the mail came some, uh, let's say, some magic fast passes. Ones where you don't have to make reservations in advance. Right. So we, okay. we, a bunch of them, lots, lots and lots of them, Jim. It was, it was bountiful, a cornucopia of fast passes, if you will. So we, we had all these fast passes and the kids had never been on Rise of the Resistance. So we all got up at 5.15 in the morning, drove over to the studios. The kids actually, because they're teenagers, brought with them a dozen donuts and actually got them into the park, which was amazing. I don't know how they did it. They brought mm, a dozen donuts okay. in the park and we mm-hmm. stood in animation courtyard and got our reservations for Rise of the Resistance right at, right at 8 o'clock. And then we decided to do rides at the studios because we were there. Mm-hmm. And so here's the game that we played. And it goes like this. You walk up to a ride that has fast pass. And whatever the standby wait time is in minutes, you add that to your total. So the first ride that we went to was Slinky Dog. It already had a 180-minute wait. Setting aside the fact that it had 180 minute wait, um, but that was mm-hmm. 180 minutes in our total, right? Okay. So we did that. We did Toy Story Mania. We did Rock and Roller Coaster. We did Tower of Terror. At the end of those four rides, we had counted 500 minutes of standby in line that we had avoided by using Fast Pass. Okay. Oh. So the question immediately was, could we get to a thousand minutes? A <laughs> thousand minutes is a lot. 16 hours and change, right? Could okay. we get to a thousand minutes? Using FastPass and not repeating any rides. Because obviously, we could ride Slinky Dog 10 times, and that's 1,800 mm-hmm. minutes, right? But, but that's cheating. Um, okay. So then we, we figured out that uh, from there, we went to Epcot. We rode Soren and then Frozen, and then we stopped off for lunch. By the way, did you know that teenagers have to eat like, like babies every two hours? It's that hummingbird thing. They have to eat twice their weight? Apparently so. And, and I, I was a teenager, right? And I, I like food. There's nothing wrong with food. I like food a lot. I hadn't fed two teenagers like that in a while, right? I mean, he has been in college now for four years, so I haven't mm-hmm. had to feed her every day. But mm-hmm. remarkable. Like, like after like the second hamburger in four hours, I'm like, where does the food go? I'm looking at you. You're real thin. Where does this food go when, it, when you eat it? What happens to it? Anyway, so we, uh, we go back to Rise the, uh, to the Studios we ride Rise of the Resistance, and then we head for the Magic Kingdom. And the beauty of having a lot of Magic Fast Passes, Jim, is that you don't have to crisscross the park. We basically started in Buzz Lightyear and worked our way counterclockwise. And mm-hmm. we were trying to get to 1,440 minutes saved, which is, as you know, 24 hours, 24 times. Yes. Hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually ended up at 1,330 minutes oh. Avoided, And the only reason we didn't get to 1440, Jim, the lines were dropping so fast in the park at the end of the day that we couldn't get to the rides fast enough. So we, I'll give you an example. We were leaving Pirates and the Mm -hmm. wait time at Barnstormer was 65 minutes. Hmm. Between the time we started walking from Pirates to the time we got to Barnstormer, the Hmm. wait had already dropped to 20 minutes. And that's why we couldn't get to 1440 in a day but that still is impressive as hell holy cow yeah 21 hours and change right or 22 hours and change not bad hmm. the things that i learned from this hmm. a it's exhausting <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I think i think by seven o'clock by 7 p.m where we had all been been up since five something you know to do rise of the resistance by 7 p.m we would have all gone home 
if we didn't have these this fistful of fast passes left that we wanted to. And we were, we, you know, and if we weren't trying to get to a specific number of minutes saved, we all would have just gone home, I think, after. I think we did dinner and then It's a Small World. And mm-hmm. I think at the end of that, we were like, it's good. Oh, by the way, It's a Small World was backed up past the last show scene. So we kind of got stuck on there for a while. And that was uh, that was a challenge. But the next day, the kids, you know, texted me and said it was the best day they've ever had in the park. We had a lot of fun. We ate, like I said, every two hours. My strategy, by the way, for keeping my energy levels up was to mm-hmm. only eat nothing bigger than my thumb and mm-hmm. lots of caffeine and sugar. So don't go heavy on carbs. Don't go heavy on meats. Lots of, uh, lots of soda, lots of candy, and, uh, and the occasional piece of uh, uh, reg- a regular meal. That's, that was my strategy. And it worked out really well. I felt great the entire day. Okay. Okay. I just, I just have the uneasy feeling that someone is going to try to top this, Len. <laughs> I, think, I think it's possible to get to 1,440 minutes of fast pass savings in a day. The, mm-hmm. Like I said, the, one of the reasons we couldn't do it was because we were in the Magic Kingdom late enough that the, the lines were falling. But mm-hmm. because we had to go back to the studios for Rise of the Resistance, if we had, had just gotten an earlier boarding group, we would mm-hmm. have hit the Magic Kingdom during peak crowds. There you go. And we there would have been go. able to get on more rides. Also, again, we were stopping every two hours to eat. So mm-hmm. if we had just brought some snacks with us, we could have done it. It's definitely doable. I want to try it again one day when I can get that many fast passes. Okay. All right, Jim, let's do some quick listener questions. This one's from our old pal, Bill. He says, I had to call the Disney World reservation line today. And while on hold, there was an announcement about Margaritaville Resort Orlando. Does Disney have a stake in this? It was the strangest thing to hear when I'm calling Disney. Jim, have you, you've, you've heard of Margaritaville, right? Yes, yes. I know the Margaritaville parent company has a relationship, obviously, with Universal because there's yep. you know the Margaritaville you know, restaurant and the bar right. right outside of Island Adventure. But yeah, that's kind of interesting that they would have gotten that announcement. <laughs> I wonder if somebody at Margaritaville is, is very clever when it comes to hacking. <laughs> it's actually uh, Margaritaville is a good neighbor hotel for Walt Disney World, and that's how ah, I got it. There we go. Okay. I went over to visit it though. I so I toured uh, not only the the Margaritaville hotel, and by toured I mean I meant snuck around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the hotel. I got in to see the rooms, and then they have uh, they have a hundred, I think, in seventy four standard hotel rooms. Each of them is about a hundred, or sorry, four hundred and seventy square mm-hmm. feet, so relatively spacious. But the the grounds that they're on include not only the hotel and the, the pools and stuff, but they're doing these like vacation cottage timeshares. So imagine, um, you know, like Caribbean Beach is sort of situated around a lake. Mm-hmm. Same thing for Margaritaville. And they're starting at one end of the lake for the hotel and then at the other lake for these vacation cottage timeshares. So in the middle between them is a large construction zone right now. Doesn't make for the most pleasing views. Uh, yeah, the, the, these work in progress resorts really are. The the water park was open by the time you were there, though, right? Yeah, water or? park was open. The retail stuff on the side was open. And it's, it's good. They they need the retail space. It's walking distance mm-hmm. from Margaretville. It's sort of vaguely like a smaller version of how Disney Springs is to Saratoga Springs, right? You can walk to it, and it's a separate retail um, space. And they definitely need it because in Margaretville itself – I think there are only a couple of, there's one restaurant, there's one sort of grab and go pantry mm. store type thing. Definitely not yeah. enough dining on site right there for, uh, mm-hmm. for everything. So it's good that they split it out. But uh, there were a couple of things that I thought was, was curious, were curious about this. The cottages themselves 
range from anywhere from one bedroom to eight bedrooms hmm. and up to something like 5,000 square feet for those hmm. eight bedrooms. They all feel like, you know, vacation homes in, in the hmm. sense that it's the same sort of decor that you'd expect to see in basically any beachfront vacation home in the United States that's, that's reasonably well-appointed. Not a lot of artwork or anything like that. Not a lot of theming. Lots of space. A lot of the amenities that you would expect. But definitely set up to sleep as many people as possible in the square footage that they have. I thought they were. I thought they were all fairly well uh, well designed. I mean, they've got washers and dryers and, and things like that. the uh, The funny thing though, Jim, was as I was sitting there, you know, waiting waiting for my friends to show up to to do this tour with me, we're trying to figure out like who stays at Margaritaville. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why would you stay at Margaritaville? Or who's the, what's the kind of person that stays at Margaritaville versus like on set at Disney or at a Marriott timeshare? Like, why Margaritaville? I'm a little puzzled that the eight bedroom setup. I mean, that's Snow White and the Dwarves. And <laughs> exactly. What, you know. Well, you're you're almost there. So, multi generational families uh-huh. is what it, what it is. So, if you have like you know one or two sets of grandparents and then a couple of sets of siblings. With their own kids, you know, you can fit all of them in, in an eight bedroom. Um, <laughs> oh God! You know, the interesting thing about having grandparents there is they can then explain to the kids. Blew up my flip flop, stepped on a pop top, and it's like, what's a pop top? Pop top, exactly. <laughs> By the way, we uh, speaking of Jimmy Buffett lyrics. Every mm-hmm. uh, every cottage that we checked did come with a blender. So oh. you could make margaritas. <laughs> First thing we checked going oh. in. Like if they don't have blenders in here, something's gone wrong. And they do. Okay. Actually, pretty pretty nice blenders too, I might add. Excellent that. observation. Yeah. But the 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 clientele were were really interesting. It was, I would say, people that were probably 20 years older than me and people mm-hmm. that were 20 years younger than me. That was the gap. And now you make me want to go watch the audience of a Jimmy Buffett concert to find out if they <laughs> see what it is. Yeah. The, the lobby looks great. It's an, it's nice grounds. When I think when they finish it, it's going to look mm. a little bit different than, or a lot different than it looks right now. The price point for the hotel rooms was around three seventy a night, I think, if I recall correctly. Ooh. And at that price, there's a lot of competition in that price range, right? It's also out there. You have to have a car or you have to Uber or Lyft over to all of the attractions from there, right? You do, although I did find a shortcut. So if you leave Margaritaville through the retail area, you're on, I believe it's called an intersection with 192 called Black Lake Road. And Mm -hmm. that goes all the way behind 192 to Sherbeth Road over by the Animal Kingdom. No, there you go. Okay, there yeah. you go. All right. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay. All right. So, Bill, thanks for the uh, thanks for the email. Another one from uh, another email from our chum Shane, who said this: Hi, Jim and Len. I was planning for the opening weekend of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which is coming up this weekend, and noticed that the Magic Kingdom's hours are nine a.m. to nine p.m. on Saturday, March seventh. So, this coming Saturday. This mm-hmm. made me wonder uh, when the last time the Magic Kingdom closed that early on a Saturday during spring break. When is the last time? This happened. So I did some research, Jim, on this. And let me say, first of all, that uh, like we're recording this the week before, but I expect mm-hmm. Disney will increase the park hours. They'll extend the park hours on that Saturday because that is a very short Saturday. But let me just say this. Shane, 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 Shane. If you keep the park open longer, Shane, it means you can't sell things like early morning magic or Disney after hours. And what's the point, Shane? of even running a theme park if you can't charge three separate admissions for it from time to time. That's, I think, the big lesson here. 
All right, that was, that was joking. But but I did go back and, and look at Shane's question. So mm-hmm. as far back as we have records, which goes back to 2006, mm-hmm. this will be the earliest closing of the first Saturday in March in 15 years. So uh, last year it was open until 11 p.m. In 2018, it was 8 a.m. to midnight. In 2017, it was open until 11. 2016, open until 11. In 2015, Jim... The park was open 8 a.m. to midnight with a three-hour extra magic hour until 3 a.m. Dear Lord. In 2014, it was open until 1 a.m. It was open until midnight in 2013, 2012, and 2011. Even during the recession, even in Mm -hmm. 2010, 2009, 2008, even when we thought we were all going to die in 2007, (laughs) it was open until 10 p.m. And in 2006, when... Remember in 2006, we were still kind of recovering from the events of 9-11. The park was still open until 11 p.m. So earliest park closing, shortest park hours in 15 years. I, I'm expecting it to, to be extended too. But, uh, but yeah, crazy short hours. Wow. Okay. All right, uh, Jim, one last question uh, from our best buddy, Sybil, who wrote in to share two interesting survey questions she received from Disney after her recent trip. And Jim, I want to get your take on these. The first okay. one is, which of the following reasons describe why you did not use the minivan service? So here are a couple of examples. I didn't have the Lyft app, party size. I was satisfied using complimentary transportation. It wasn't needed. I used another rideshare or on-demand service like an Uber or a taxi. The app didn't work. I drove my own car. I didn't want to pay for transportation. It wasn't offered to the off-property destinations I wanted. It was too expensive. I don't understand the service. The wait was too long or something else. That's a pretty comprehensive list of, uh, of reasons there, Jim. That's what, uh, 13? Yeah. What's Disney trying to get at here? Like they're trying to figure out how to market this thing? I think the, the minivan, so to speak, had a first, a good couple of years. But now Lyft and Uber, if you think how easy those like apps are to use or that sort of thing, Disney has noticed a little trailing off, enough to commission a survey like this to the effect of, okay, what's happening here? Shouldn't we be trending up rather than staying in place or descending? You have to remember, again, heading into the 50th anniversary, this is about, you know, half the thing is so many people are going to be coming to the parks and want to experience things like the Skyliner. And by the way, have you tried the minivan, you know, this fun new way to get around the resort? Basically, I think what you're seeing here is Disney collecting information for a course correction. And do we need to market a little bit better or do we need to talk to our people in IT and get a, you know, a more user-friendly app? What exactly are our issues here? And so this is really what it is. It's like, which of these 13 things tripped you up on you know, what should we paying, be paying attention to? Because it's not, it's not integrated into the My Disney Experience app yet, right? It's a separate app that you've got to do. You have to download the Lyft app and use it, right? Aren't we anticipating the genie is supposed to take care of that? There's a lot. Uh, we don't. We don't. There's just so many questions around around yet another app for Disney. Okay. Might, okay. I mean, start. But you bring up a good point, right? Like, are they going to bring out a, yet another app that's supposed to be something separate they use, or is there going to be one app that integrates everything in? This is kind of circling back to I think what we were talking about last week when when you think about people who are coming to the park and have to learn. You know, and haven't been in decades and have to learn about magic bands or boarding groups. Oh, but speaking of that, I, uh, I did an interview that's uh, coming out next week, and I basically plagiarized everything you said about that. So when you see it, 
Just remember, I was thinking fondly of you as I said it. That's, that's okay. It's plagiarism. Think of me as Paul Winchell for your Jerry Mahoney. That's okay. <laughs> Jim, uh, Sybil's other question was this, speaking of uh, miniature golf. During this visit to the Walt Disney World Resort, did you experience any of the following miniature golf courses? And they list out both of the Fantasia Garden courses and then both of the Winter Summerland courses along with a miniature golf course located off Disney property. And then I didn't experience any miniature golf courses on this trip. Why the specific survey question about miniature golf? Circling back to the cove and the large piece of real estate that it occupies. And we could sell this to another hotel. <laughs> the Cove's mission really is to help the dolphin and the swan and make sure its convention center is filled 365 days a year. There's a very valuable piece of real estate that's being filled with bad Mini statues golf. of Fantasia. And right. Disney is thinking, do we really need four miniature golf courses? We still have the Eagle Golf Course. We used to have the Eagle Pines Golf Course, which now became the, you know, is where the Four Seasons is seated in right. Golden Oak. There's 43 miles, square miles of, of land, but... There's only so much real estate uh, located right next to Disney's Hollywood Studios, though, Jim. There you go. All right. So that's what they're going for there. If you were fond of, you know, knocking golf balls into pockets, now might be a good time to, to get over there. That, that's what I think. I think it's uh, the real estate's too valuable for it to be a, a miniature golf course mm -hmm. for very long, even though it's a, great, it's a great golf course. It is. It is. But it's a great golf course from 1996. <laughs> that's a good point. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim is going to tell us about the history of Bob Iger's career at the Walt Disney Company. We'll be right back. The story goes that uh, when Bob Iger was giving his resignation, he said he woke up one day and decided he no longer wanted to run the Disney Corporation the same way that when I wake up in the morning, I'm trying to decide between my Captain Crunch or my hard-boiled egg. What happened, Jim? It's not like he, he's been subtle. Last September, he published his memoir, you know, The Ride of a Lifetime, you know, Lessons Learned from 15 Years as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Right. That's the sort of thing you do when you're capping off your career, Len. So Iger has announced his intention to retire from the Walt Disney Company as far back as 2013 when he signed that deal that, what, he was going to step down as chairman in 2015, and if effectively, in fact, what's kind of interesting about the deal that he has now with the Disney company, the, where mm -hmm. uh, he stepped down as CEO, but he's staying on as a creative, to, uh, it, 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 an executive chairman is the official name of the position, but he stays on as a, an executive chairman uh, in charge of creative through 2021, and back in 2015, this is exactly what Iger was supposed to do. July mm -hmm. of, of 2015, he was going to step down as the uh, chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. He was going to stay on, though, as an executive chairman. And in that case, uh, he was staying on through 2016 because the notion was, well, we'll be opening Shanghai Disneyland. And given that Bob was the guy in 1999 who went over to Pudong and, and picked the site, it's kind of crucial that he's there. Iger came through the door at Disney. July of 1995 was the Cap Cities acquisition. Yeah, ABC deal. Yep. Yeah. When we talk about Michael Eisner, people pretty much say that, say, from when he came through the door in September of 84 till, say, 
it's summer of 95, thereabouts. You know, Michael Eisner was a visionary. He was a genius. He turned Disney around. First 10 years, yeah. But July of, of 1995, he buys Cap City for, what, $19 billion. Uh, you know, and that, that gets Disney ABC, that gets Disney ESPN. Mm-hmm. It's August, the very next month, where he hires Michael Ovitz to be... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that, and Michael was out by December of 1996, and then there, there was the lawsuit about him getting his compensation. Right. And for a lot of people, Michael's mistake was he stayed too long at the fair. And so Iger had observed that. I mean, Iger had been in the front seat and watched how ugly it got with right. Ovitz. And it wasn't necessarily a done deal that Bob was going to be the number two at Disney. In fact, it, in uh, Ride of a Lifetime, he tells the story of how in 1999, his boss at ABC, Tom Murphy, literally called him one day and said, I'm sorry, Bob, oh, yeah, I was just out to dinner with, with Michael and members of the board, and he doesn't believe in you. You probably, if you want a, your career to advance, you're going to have to leave Disney. And hmm. he spent the rest of the fall waiting for the shoe to drop. And when Eisner finally sat down with him, it was to discuss whether or not Bob wanted to become the president of Walt Disney International and, you know, end up handling the land search for the Chinese theme park. And, and mm. something had changed between that dinner that Tom had been at and, and when they finally had this meeting just a few months later. So when Eisner walks out the door, and that's September 30th, 2005, Mm-hmm. Iger has signed a three-year deal with Disney that runs through 2008. The exact same deal that Bob Chapek has right now. It's, it's yep. sort of like kind of the CEO training wheels experience. That's exactly. You know, we'll give you three, three years and, and see what you can do. And then in 2008, Bob Iger signs a new five-year contract. And this is supposed to run from uh, to 2013. We now get into the the contract extensions. I mean, I mean, for example, in October of 2011, Bob signs a brand new five-year contract. And this was largely because the gentleman who was the chairman at that point had decided that he wanted to retire in March of 2012. And Bob Iger wanted to be chairman and CEO. So it's like, okay, we'll cut a new deal. In 2015, he steps down, and by June of 2016, he's out the door. But then in July of 2013, Bob signs an 18-month-long extension of that contract, and that was largely because in October of 2012, the Walt Disney Company bought Lucasfilm. And the concern was, you know, we have to launch a new series of films, and we're doing these lands. and You have to integrate in the company, yada, yada. Yeah. It's a set of themes, Jim, we will hear again and again. You're right. Uh, October of 2014, because Shanghai has fallen behind schedule and isn't going to make its fall 2015 opening, Bob agrees to a two-year extension on his employment contract. So that's a contract extension number two. And we haven't even gotten into the whole Jay Rizzullo, Tom Staggs bake-off. <laughs> Here are your two choices. I'll take neither of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but again, March of 2017, because the board of directors uh, no longer, and this is literally just months after Tom has been named as the heir apparent. And right. now he's, he's going to be walking out the door. So they need Iger to stay on. Uh, while they, they launch a new you know search for a, a new CEO. So 
That's contract extension number three, and that takes us now to July of, of 2019. And then December of that same year, we get Disney announcing that they're going to acquire certain film and television assets from Fox. And because the integration of these two media giants is going to be this enormous project, the board, before they'll go through with this, makes Iger promise that he'll stay through the end of 2021. This is a guy who sincerely had been trying to go out the door in 2015, 2016. And here, through various circumstances, he's now staying through 2021. The story genuinely seems to be that here was Iger sort of looking over the horizon. And yeah. Hong Kong, Disneyland, and Shanghai have been shut down because of coronavirus. And then just this week, there was talk from the Olympic Committee about not postponing, but canceling the Olympics in Japan. Right. Because you don't want that many people together that close to the pandemic outbreak, right? If that's on the table, we're not that far away from the Tokyo Disney Resort out of, you know, this is the oh, phrase yeah. that everybody's using now, an abundance of caution right? Uh, shutting down. No, I, yeah. I think Iger looked at it and said, 2020 is not going to be as good as 2019. I'm not going to retire all. at some point. Why not go out on top? Right. Yeah. Just from the box office point of view alone. I mean, think about it. Last year, Disney had $7 billion earners, uh, the worldwide box office. That's never happened before in the history of Hollywood. And it's certainly not going to happen again at Disney this year. Bob Iger pulled a Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold them and no one to fold them. Yep. And the, the story you started off with, the fact that he was on CNBC and flat out told the interviewer there, I don't want to run this company anymore. And he talked about specifically, I've done 83 earnings calls. I don't want to do an 84th. This guy was sincere. He's, he's done his time. You can't yeah. argue that he hasn't done well by Disney shareholders. Now, I guess we should address that there's also been some rumors out there about Bob possibly having some political aspirations. Yeah, I heard that from some people yesterday. I don't know. Maybe at one time he did, but I'm not, I'm not sure that he still does now. The way I heard it, when Bob was going to exit the company back in June of 2016, he supposedly had his eyes on the U.S. Senate seat that Hillary Clinton once held for the state of New York. Now, mind you, it was available uh, you know, the, for the taking in 2018, but it meant that Bob would have had to get a campaign up and running in 2017 in order to, to be taken seriously as a candidate and yeah. you know, qualify and all that. But, but the story that I've heard is that Bob's wife, Willow Bay, uh, yeah. you know, at that point, they've been married for 12 years. And so she get win, gets winds of Bob's plans and she, gets, she turns to him and says, oh, so you're thinking of seeking political office. It's like, Not with this wife. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much it. And she's who among she's us has not heard something like that at one point or another. <laughs> oh, that's good. There you go. Now, now mind <laughs> you, again, that's a story from 2017. Yeah. Things could have changed, but on the other hand, Willow's teaching at UCLA right now, and Bob suddenly got a much lighter schedule. So yeah. uh, next week we'll pivot and take a closer look at Mr. Chapek. In particular, you know, it's just been fascinating to watch. The fan community go after uh, Bob in regard to IP and the theme parks and that sort of thing. And you got to remember, he's only been chairman of the Disney parks since 2015. So 
you know, that this, it's been fascinating to watch a lot of stuff that's been laid at, at JPEG's feet that it, it doesn't necessarily scan, I think, the way it should. But again, we'll talk about that in a future show. All right, we'll do that uh, next week. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me at TouringPlans.com. On next week's show, we're going to do that show about how Disney used to train cast members to be characters like Mickey Mouse. We'll also make a swim for it on the Jungle Cruise and talk about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's showing his Japanese taiko drumming skills at this weekend's 26th annual Honolulu Festival in beautiful downtown Honolulu, Hawaii. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.